This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'll be talking about the prophetic gift, and I'll tell you how I came to that topic in a little bit. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind you that if you have any questions or anything you'd like to share with me, any response or feedback on things that I've been sharing, please feel free to send me an email at ancientpaths@cantrell.cc, and you can visit my website if you want to learn more about my life and my work. That's at www.cantrell.cc. And the ministry that I direct, if you're interested in knowing about that, is at www.stoneworks.ngo. Before I talk about the prophetic gift, I'd like to follow up a little bit with my last talk, which was on worldliness in the church. Originally, I had that talk broken into two parts, and then as I thought about it, I realized this will probably be an ongoing series of talks, just as I have other series. But I did want to share something, uh, some feedback that I got from a listener. She had some concerns regarding my remarks about hobbies, and because her husband is involved in woodworking and I seem to disparage hobbies. And she said something that was really very helpful to me. She said, there is a difference between escape and renewal. And I agree with that, definitely. I agree with that. I don't want anyone to think that I'm making an overarching judgment against an entire class of activities. The Lord looks at our heart. Our actions may be motivated in different ways. And of course, of course, it's possible to glorify God and love Him through woodworking or sewing or any of these hobbies. And it's also possible to try to escape into a bubble, escape reality through those things, to be self-concerned through woodworking or sewing or any other hobby. So I'm not here to judge the motives of others. So please don't think that I'm trying to do that. But I know in my case, when I engaged in hobbies, my motivation was selfish, because I was trying to fill up emptiness in my life by doing things that seemed exciting, but really had no eternal effect. I was really trying to escape, as opposed to allowing the Lord to renew me through these activities. So I encourage everyone who listens to this, surrender every part of your life to God. Everything. That's ultimately where we're headed. That's what he wants of us. And in my case... When I engaged in hobbies, it was an example of me taking up my life into my own hands. It was not an example of me surrendering my life. So I agree with the listener. There is a difference between escape and renewal. And let's allow ourselves to be renewed. And that brings to mind Romans 12, verse 2. Paul writes, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and there is definitely a difference between escaping reality and allowing ourselves to be renewed. In this case, it's renewing of our mind, and I want to remind you, 
the word for repentance is metanoia, meaning a new mind. We have to break away from the patterns of this world and be transformed by repentance, by having a new mind. And Paul says, then, and I'll add, and only then, can we test and approve of what God's will is. The way that we can understand the will of God is to have a new mind, to think like God thinks, to have his mind, to be conformed to him and no longer to this world. So I'll return to this theme of worldliness in the church. I have some more thoughts about self-esteem, but also about self-abandonment. So I'll come back to that later. But as I was praying about today's talk, I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk about the prophetic gift, about prophecy. And in an interesting way, I've done this talk in several countries around the world, so I have the notes at hand, but I haven't looked through them in over a year, I guess, something like that. And I felt that I should just print out my notes, but not really go through them. And then today, as I talk about it, it'll be fresh in a certain way. So I'd like to talk about the prophetic gift. I should give a little background here. When I was a new believer, I found myself with a real hunger for the Word. And I was very committed to reading the Word and submitting myself to the Word. And I bought a big study Bible to help me with that. And it was a Schofield study Bible. Anyone who's ever seen one of those knows it's really huge. Schofield was a lawyer back, I guess, over 100 years ago, and he wrote extensive notes and helpful notes. But I realized that I made a little bit of a mistake there because often Schofield's notes took up more text on the page than the text of the Bible itself. And I found myself reading his notes sometimes more than the text of the Bible. And Schofield was a cessationist. He was a dispensationalist meaning that he did not believe that the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the scriptures are for today. He felt that those gifts had ceased at a certain time. And so his notes reflected that. And as a young believer, I read his notes and found myself being taught that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, not for believers today. However, as I continued reading the scriptures, I realized that the Apostle Paul said eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, and in particular the gift of prophecy. So I found myself in a little bit of a bind here. Schofield was telling me that these gifts didn't exist, and the scriptures were telling me that I should eagerly desire them. And I know the different arguments about why they've ceased, and I certainly have seen spiritual gifts used incorrectly. That's, of course, why Paul had to write the letter to the Corinthian church in part, because they were gifted, but they were using gifts in the wrong ways. So there came a time when, out of obedience to the Scriptures, I started praying. I said, Lord, the Bible says I should eagerly desire these gifts, and in particular the gift of prophecy, so I'd like it. If that's your will for me, I'd like to have that gift. I'd like to walk in these gifts. And I prayed that prayer not because I really believed in the gifts, but because I saw it in the Scriptures, and wanted to be obedient to what the Lord was speaking to my heart. So that's the first sort of foundation stone. The things that I'm going to share today, I did not agree with when I was a young believer, but now the Lord has led me into this place of understanding. And I must give credit to David Pawson. He's a British Bible teacher, 
passed away not too long ago. I've listened to him extensively. I really appreciate uh, his perspective on the scriptures, and he's a really good teacher, just the way that he teaches as well. And in this understanding of the prophetic gift, I listened to some of his teaching, and I took extensive notes, and I have become what he called an impersonator <laughs> instead of an impersonator. You'll probably hear me use his words at times because I took these notes and really, really appreciate his teaching and the way that he lays out things. So I give full credit to David Pawson. And uh, if anybody wants to accuse me of plagiarism, I, I think I'll take credit for that immediately <laughs> so the accusation can't really stick. I am an impersonator on this. And I want to start with a personal story that exemplifies my understanding of the spiritual gifts and the prophetic gift. In Russia, I have a friend, his name is Vadim, and he has a ministry for street children. He's been doing it for many, many years. And he helps kids who come off the street. He has a shelter. And he used to go to an international furniture store. I'm not going to mention the name of the store or the owner here soon, but Vadim would go to this big international company that had a big store in St. Petersburg, and he would get furniture that was returned or partially broken from the store, and he would take that and use that in his shelter for street kids. So his name was on their list of charities that this big international corporation would help. And one day, Vadim received a telephone call, and it was the owner of this international corporation. The man was a billionaire with these stores all around the world, and he had apparently asked the people who work in his corporation for the names of worthy charities in different countries. And this man called Vadim and said to him, My birthday is coming up, and I want you to give me a birthday gift. And Vadim was like, well, okay. And the man said, I will give you 100,000 euros, and I want you to build a house for street children, and that will be your birthday gift to me. Now, isn't that something? A billionaire calls this man who is faithfully involved in ministry to street kids and says, I'll give you 100,000 euros, which is over $100,000, $130,000 maybe. I'll give you this money, and you build a house for your ministry, and that's your birthday gift to me. It's really a beautiful example of how God is as a father. We have a heavenly father who loves to give good gifts. He loves to give especially spiritual gifts. And he gives these gifts that are going to help other people. That's very clear in the scriptures why God gives us spiritual gifts. They're to help other people. And he gives a variety of gifts, not just big flashy ones that seem super spiritual, simple ones. Uh, I often mention the gift of administration or the gift of meeting the needs of others. He gives a variety of gifts. It's called the manifold grace of God, the many-faceted grace of God. And one of the primary gifts in the scriptures is prophecy. Today I'll talk primarily about the Old Testament prophetic gift, and next time we'll talk about how it is in the New Testament. Now it's good to remember that God gives gifts, and he gives 
fruit. Those are two different things. Gifts are not fruit, and fruit is not gifts. He gives gifts so that we'll do what Jesus did, and he gives fruit so that we'll be what Jesus was as he walked this earth. Gifts and fruit. And it's very interesting that he gives mature gifts even before the fruit is mature. He gave spiritual gifts to the church in Acts chapter 2, not in Acts chapter 28. He gives mature gifts even before the fruit is mature. And we see that in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. They were gifted people, but they weren't fully mature. And so they needed to be taught how to use these gifts in the right way and for the right purposes. So we must distinguish between spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit, and we must also distinguish between natural gifts and spiritual gifts, because this gift of prophecy is a spiritual gift. So I'd like to talk about what prophecy is not. We'll talk in the negative here for a minute. The prophetic gift is not preaching. Preaching and prophecy are not the same thing, though some may think so. An evangelist preaches, a pastor preaches, but the prophetic ministry is distinct from that of the evangelist or the pastor. Also, the prophetic gift is not about making predictions. Often in the world, you would think of a prophet as someone who predicts something, but that's not what the gift of prophecy is or the prophetic gift is. Prophets may make predictions, but that's not the essential ministry of the prophetic gift. We're also not talking about people who are skilled in political analysis or social analysis. Those people who can analyze the trends and then tell us where they think those trends are leading. A prophet is not necessarily an expert in social insights, though people will use the word that way. That guy is prophetic because he can see trends and talk about where those trends are leading. But that's not the gift of prophecy. We're also not talking about moral leadership like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. They've been described as prophets, but that's not the prophetic gift, being a good moral leader. Not talking about visionaries, people who have great dreams and visions, those who have a very vivid imagination. We're not talking about being a visionary as being a prophet. And we're not talking about someone who has a natural gift of speaking with authority in public. That is not the prophetic gift as well. True prophecy isn't emotional, and it's not even intellectual. Well, if prophecy and the prophetic gift is not emotional, and it's not intellectual, what is it? Well, this is what the prophetic gift is, according to the Scriptures. And very simply, it's giving your voice for God. The prophetic gift is a voice for God. And that definition implies two things. First, that the prophet has heard from God. And two, that he is willing to pass on what he's heard. And there are no other qualifications for the prophetic gift other than a willingness to listen and then to pass on what we've heard. In the scriptures, prophets are men and women who understand the thoughts and the emotions of God. 
And there are men and women who, hearing these things from God, are willing to pass along that message to other people. Prophets are men and women who are faithful to speak what they've heard. So, as I mentioned, this teaching is in two parts. first part here has been to define from Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the prophetic gift, as distinct from evangelism or pastoral gifts. And then I'm also going to talk about the practical aspects of it. How does the ministry begin? Is there any training that you can do? How to exercise the spiritual gift? So let's take a look at the Old Testament prophetic gift. And the Old Testament is a prophetic book from the very beginning to the very end. And we see a lot of different models of prophetic ministry. Uh, First of all, it's real important to understand that no one makes himself or herself a prophet. We don't make ourselves that. There must be two things. And first is a divine call from God, a gifting from God, a call to speak for him. Priests and kings, they came into office in other ways, but a prophet must hear directly from God. And that word from the Lord could come to somebody like Jeremiah, who was a teenager. In Jeremiah 1.6, the Hebrew word used for child means someone who is under 14 years old. Jeremiah says, I'm just a child, and he was young. I think of Jeremiah as being old with a big full beard, and he's yelling and screaming, but when the call came to Jeremiah, he was a teenager. This divine call can come to a young woman. It can come to anyone. The prophetic gift and this call of God can come to anyone at any time in life. The second thing that there must be after the divine call is God's actual equipping for the ministry. And the Holy Spirit is necessary for this. Without the Holy Spirit, the prophetic gift can't be exercised. Without the Holy Spirit, there are false prophets. The history of the church is full of false prophets, and the world today has false prophets. As a matter of fact, there are many more false prophets than true prophets in the Old Testament. We have to be very, very careful to be discerning of these prophetic words that come to us. And I'll talk about that more when I talk about how the gift of prophecy is exercised in the New Testament. But now we're talking about the Old Testament. There were minor prophets and major prophets. Uh, Some were called to speak to multitudes of people, and some were called to speak to just one other person, but it's the same ministry. The prophets in the Old Testament were visual as well as verbal. They had visions. They both heard and saw the message. As a matter of fact, they saw much more than they heard. Very often, this prophetic word came to them with a very simple picture, and the prophets used more poetry than prose. This is a good thing to understand. In the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, There are times when the word comes to us in the form of poems. Poetry is the expression of the emotions of God. We do this in America. When you get a a greeting card from someone, often it's written in poetry. We use poetry to express emotion. And it's the same way in the scriptures that the emotions of God, the truth of God and the emotions of God are communicated through poetry. Prose is when he communicates his thoughts. So it's helpful to recognize that the Old Testament prophets often spoke in poetry. 
communicating the truths of God and the heart of God. Now, the prophets were a supplement, but they were never a substitute for the revealed will of God. Will a prophetic ministry be a threat to Scripture? Well, never, 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 never. In the Old Testament, Moses brought that living, revealed word of God to the people, the law. The prophets did not always quote the law, but they never contradicted it. They always applied it, and they often reinforced it. Prophecy is a supplementary ministry. To take the word of God that was revealed for all time and apply it to a particular time in a way that would not be relevant in any other time. It's a way of taking the everlasting truth and making it relevant for a particular time and place. Now, those of you who have heard my previous episodes called As He Leads will understand how I apply this. And that's the expression of the prophetic gift in my life. One of the expressions is to pray and see if the Lord has any specific scriptures or any specific words that he wants me to share to encourage people and build them up. So in this way, my ministry in that is supplementary to the word of God. And always, 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 if a person speaks and claims to have a prophetic gift, check that against the scriptures. Also, It's important to realize in the Old Testament that miracles were sometimes a part of this prophetic ministry, but not always. Their message had power. The power lay in the message, not in the miracles. Sometimes miracles happened and they were a confirmation of the authority and the truth of the message, but the miracles were not essential to that message. And the Old Testament prophets had to cope with hundreds of false prophets You can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 23 and Micah chapter 2. These false prophets spoke unfulfilled predictions. They gave false hope, and they gave false demands that contradicted what God had already said. So there are scriptural tests for false prophecies, and we can still apply those. Any prophecy you hear, the scripture tells you to weigh it, to test it. And one of the tests of a prophetic word is whether it is consistent with what he's already said. And a couple of other things to talk about with Old Testament prophecy. The prophets had an international role. In Jeremiah 32, verse 27, we read, quote, I am the God of all mankind, unquote. Entire sections of the Old Testament prophets were not spoken to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. So prophets had an international role, not just speaking to the people of God, but speaking to the world, because God is the God of all mankind, not just of his people. Isaiah chapters 14 through 24 is all addressed to the people outside of Israel. Jeremiah chapters 46 through 51 is addressed to people outside of the people of God. Ezekiel chapter 25 through 32 Those chapters are addressed to the Gentiles, to the nations. Amos chapter 1 is to the nations. All of Obadiah is to the Gentiles. Jonah was sent to the Gentiles. Nahum, Habakkuk, Daniel, all of these prophets had words for the people that were outside of the nation of Israel. The prophets are needed for witness to those outside. God brings his word to those who have no Bible and have no church. 
God wants to speak to people outside of the church, and this is done by prophets and evangelists. Another thing to understand, in addition to the prophets having an international role, is that Israel, as a nation, had a prophetic role. In Psalm 105, we see that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we call fathers of the Hebrew race, God calls them and their families prophets, a prophetic role for Israel as a nation. God wants a nation of prophets that would speak to the whole world and that through them the nations would be blessed. And understanding this helps us understand Pentecost, that God gave these gifts to go out and speak to the nations. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses commissions 70 elders, and the Spirit comes on them, and they prophesy. And then Moses says, quote, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them, end quote. Amen. Well, the hope of Moses was fulfilled because God has put his Spirit on all. Anyone who would receive will receive his Spirit. And this wish of Moses, this hope of Moses, is fulfilled in the new covenant. Now, of course, <laughs> I'm sorry, I laugh, but I keep saying I'm going to teach about covenants, and I promise I will. And here in just a second, I'll have a brief overview of the covenants. But before I finish up talking about the Old Testament understanding of the prophetic gift, I want to say that the Old Testament finishes with two hopes. One is a focused, definite hope that one day there will be a man who will be called the prophet. And this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. And God says, quote, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account, End quote. There was this hope of the coming prophet, that the prophet was coming. It's not just the hope of the Messiah, it's the hope of the prophet, the prophet. And we see this in John chapter 1, verse 24. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? They were waiting for the prophet of Deuteronomy chapter 18. And this prophet will be like Moses, coming to give the definitive word from God with miracles as well as a message. There's going to be one person coming who will speak for God with the most depth and knowledge. And in the New Testament, we see that people are waiting for the prophet. Now, I said that the Old Testament finishes with two hopes. The first hope was that the prophet was going to come. And the other hope, as it relates to the prophetic gift, is that one day the Spirit would fall on all people and produce a nation of prophets. This is from Joel chapter 2, and it's quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2. And Peter said, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And now he quotes from Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy, 
So there's this hope as we close out the Old Testament as relates to the prophetic gift that one day the prophet will come and give that definitive word from God and also that God would pour out his spirit and there would be a nation of prophets. So looking into the New Testament, there's a tension of looking for the prophet and also for a nation of prophets of all kinds of people. And these are fulfilled in the New Testament. This desire of Moses and the prophecy of Joel. So as a transition between discussing the Old Testament and the New Testament understanding of the prophetic gift, I want to take just a few minutes here to do a very brief overview of the big difference between an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament prophet. And that difference is the New Covenant. And that entails the indwelling Spirit, that God puts His Spirit into His people, all His people. This was not true under the Old Testament. It wasn't true under the Mosaic Law. But under the New Covenant, we have a promise of God giving His Spirit to His people. So here's a real quick overview of the different covenants. And again, I'll talk much more extensively about this in the future. All of the covenants in the Bible are associated with a person. The first time that we see the Lord use the word covenant with a person, it's with Noah in Genesis chapter 9. So it's called the Noahic covenant. And then there's the covenant that's made with Abraham, found in Genesis chapter 17. The covenant is made with Abraham and his son and his grandson. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 4, there's a covenant that's made with Moses. The Mosaic law, the old covenant, is often the way that it's referred to in the New Testament. It's the law, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Then there's a covenant that's made with David, the Davidic covenant. And you can read about this in Psalm 89. And then in the Old Testament, there is the new covenant covenant mentioned in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, and Isaiah chapters 9 and 53. And the person who's associated with this new covenant is the Messiah. And that's why it's known as the Messianic covenant, the new covenant. What is the covenant? In Jeremiah 31, we read that God promises to write the law in our minds and write the law, his law, on our hearts, and he promises that he will forgive sins. How is he going to do that? In Ezekiel 36, we see he promises that he'll give us a new heart. He'll give us a new spirit. Plus, he's going to give us his spirit. And in Ezekiel, God promises to move within us, to follow his ways, to do what he says. That's a promise that was not made under the old covenant. God did not promise to help people keep his law, but under the new covenant, he promises to help. And then in Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 53, we see who is associated with this new covenant, and that is the suffering servant and the supreme king, that the Messiah of this new covenant will both suffer and rule and reign forever. And of course, Jesus claims to be that Messiah in particular, when he shares the elements of the first communion meal with his disciples, he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. 
Well, what delineates this new covenant from all the other covenants, the covenant with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David? The difference is that God indwells his people, and the difference is that he gives his people both the desire to do his will and the power to do his will. This is why I think the new covenant is perhaps the most important thing that we can understand as we walk with the Lord We are under his new covenant. We are no longer under the law. We are under a different covenant, a different agreement. Under the new covenant, we are a priesthood of believers. There's no longer a priestly class that stands between an individual and God. We are called a priesthood of believers. Under the new covenant, we are a nation of prophets. God gives his gifts to many, many, many people. No one person is called to be a prophet. Everyone should desire that gift and want to function in that way, to build up members of the church and to speak the word of God. Under the new covenant, we all have the spirit and we are all called to discern the word of the Lord. That's under the new covenant. Next time I'm going to move into a discussion of the prophetic gift in the New Testament under the new covenant. And I'd like to finish up with a story about how this prophetic gift has functioned in my life. When I received a word that has borne much, much fruit. When I was getting ready to leave the United States and move to Russia, the elders of my church ordained me to go, laid hands on me, and prayed for me in front of the congregation and sent me out. And as they were laying hands on me, one of the elders had a vision. And in the vision, he saw a candle that was hanging on a wall. Uh, You know, these candles that sort of have a sconce that's got a little handle you can pick up and carry around. And he saw this candle that was hanging on the wall. And then he saw a hand reach up and take the candle off of the wall and begin to move the candle along. And the candle was shining light down on the ground, showing the way. The elder shared that vision then And then he gave the interpretation of it, and he said, Mike, you are that candle, and you've been in one place for a while, but now God is taking you off of this wall, and he's beginning to move you. And your light is going to shine down, and it's going to reveal the path. But the light is not for you to understand your path. The light is for you to help other people see the path that God has for them. That was a prophetic word. It came through a vision, and then the elder of the church, while laying hands on me, proclaimed this prophetic word, and I keep coming back to this vision. All these years later, that was over 20 years ago now, that my role is not to try to find my own path. My role is to help other people find the path that God has for them. Through other conversations, I now put it this way, that I am here to help others do what God is calling them to do. But this is an example of how this prophetic word, a vision from God and then a word from God, and it's very scriptural. The elders of the church are laying hands on me and praying for me to send me out, and one has a vision and proclaims it. We all agree in the spirit that this is of the Lord, and now it bears fruit many, many years later. I started off telling the story of Vadim, receiving a phone call from a billionaire. 
And the man said, I want you to give me a gift. I will give you a lavish amount of money, and I want you to build a house to help orphans and street children, and that is your gift to me. Now, Vadim had to be faithful with the use of that gift, but it all came from that wealthy man. And this is the way it is with spiritual gifts and with the gift of prophecy, which is one of the spiritual gifts. God wants us to have this beautiful gift so that we can help other people because it really touches people's hearts when they hear something that is true and deep and meaningful and personal. As Jesus said in John chapter 10, the shepherd calls his sheep by name. And there are times when he speaks very particularly to individual people. And often, in my experience, both receiving and in walking in the prophetic gift, that this very personal message comes through a prophetic word. This is all very scriptural. And I know that it can be misused, and I know that there are false prophets. But that should not keep me, it should not keep us from really desiring what God wants us to desire, because he wants to give you a really good gift, because he loves the people around you. He doesn't give these gifts so that we can just hold on to them, and keep them to ourselves, and feel good about it. He gives these gifts so that we'll share with others so that his blessings will flow through us and not stop with us. And this is what I really must emphasize. The gifts of God are for other people. We should lay our lives down for the Lord and in service to others. Well, next time I'll be talking about the prophetic gift as it's seen in the New Testament and also the application of it today, though I've touched on those things already in this talk. And until then, my friends, may the Lord continue to reveal to you his word and his ways because his ways are always good and they always lead to peace for the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.